0: this episode of in the house we sit down with brent fannin brent is the founder of fia homes in austin texas we talked to brent about how he came to be in the construction industry and how fia homes started we discuss a couple of the projects currently underway and we talk about the deficit in skilled labor and some potential solutions we hope you like this episode if you do share with a friend and give us a five-star rating thanks for listening Welcome to this episode of In the House. Today, we are speaking with Brent Fannin. Uh, Brent is the founder of FIA Homes here in Austin, Texas. Uh, Brent, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, man. I thank wanna, you. I just want to dive right in. Uh, tell me, I want to know your your story. I want to know your background. Did you did you grow up here in Texas, or you an Austinite originally? Sure. Like, tell us your story.
1: Um, uh, Texas native. I've been in Austin since 2001, so uh, my wife and I moved here um, after right after we got married. She's from the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. and we were living in North Texas, where I'm from originally, Frisco, which uh, when I grew up up there was a spot on the map, and now it's this major <laughs> metropolis, you know. But uh, being from the Pacific Northwest, she just wasn't made for North Texas, mm-hmm. and so Austin felt like a good fit because I wanted to stay here, and uh, we moved down here, and Moved into the Zilker neighborhood, and that was kind of the beginning of my real estate career in Austin, Texas. So that's, that's
0: where you stayed ever since.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we, the majority of our projects are in that neighborhood. And uh, when I moved to that neighborhood, I could just kind of sense the intrinsic value of that area. You know, you had the park, you had downtown, multiple uh, ways to get downtown, freeways. And it's like, man, this is a really cool zone. And I yeah. don't know how long you've been in Austin, but back then it wasn't. A cool zone. There was <laughs> definitely some questionable stuff happening on Lamar. Uh, and my dad, he looked at me square in the eye. He said, son, are you sure you want to buy this house? I said, yeah, I do. Yeah, I want to buy it. And then a few years later, you know, it, it definitely paid off and, you know, it kind of got started on the investment side of the business. So,
0: I guess on your website, it says that you're like third generation construction, right? Yeah. Can you go into that? Like,
1: Yeah, sure. So um, my granddad was like a true craftsman of craftsmen's. He built his own house. When I say he built his own house, like he did it piece by piece.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, after the war, he came back and built a house in West Texas in Slayton. And um, he ended up moving to Dallas, building another house there. But uh, when I was growing up, being around him, he had a workshop in the back, and he was always tinkering. Yeah. Building furniture, toys, remodeling. And so I was exposed to that at a very young age. Uh, my dad, um, his profession is the nursery business. So, we have one of the largest tree nurseries in Texas. Oh, okay. And so, that's kind of how we ended up in Frisco. Our ranch is about 45 minutes north of there in Gunnar. Okay. Um, But, same with uh, my dad growing up. He built two of the family homes. And so, I was heavily involved in that. And, not involved in that, but exposed to that, I guess, would be a better way to put it at a young age. And then... Uh, as I got older, um, I was always working with him. He was always buying remodel properties and, you know, flipping those things. And so I just started working, you know, working next to guys, working in the trades, kind of being experienced to that. So that was my exposure to real estate. Uh, and Which, what
0: did you do? like? framing a little, little bit of everything yeah or? well
1: you know when you're a kid you start out sweeping floors right. and i swept a lot of floors <laughs> yeah. you know but you know it's interesting like even today I'll, I'll go to my project and i'll pick up a broom sometime and just sweep because you know when you're there in the house and it's quiet and you're just kind of like in that moment right mm-hmm. and and you you experience things or you see things inside of the house so you know as menial as that sounds, I think there's a lot that you can learn from that. No, yeah. man,
0: j- like job site like cleanliness is like hugely important. I mean, it's it's probably one of the things, right, Adrian? That's it. it kind of goes when it's when it gets out of hand, you you notice it. Yep. But when it when it's when a job site's clean and organized, it's, it's probably one of those things like you you don't really pay <laughs> attention to, and that's that's actually the point. Like you yep. don't want to walk on site and see. All the trash. You want to see the house. You want to see the the details and the craftsmanship and all the hard work that's that's gone into you know making it what it is. Yeah. And so, well, yeah. it does, and
1: it sets a precedent for I think the workmanship that you get mm-hmm. for the trades coming in. Yeah, and, you know, if a guy yeah. shows up and your job is tight, you know, their expectation of the work that they're going to do on that side, I think, is higher. Yep. You know, if they mm-hmm. show up and it's a mess, you know, maybe they feel like they don't have to put the work in. You know, so. I agree 100%. I mean, cleanliness is a huge part of what we do on a weekly basis. And I frankly can't think about my project the right way unless it's not clean. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I you know, so, you know, obviously starting to clean. And then, you know, I worked on a framing crew. I did plumbing. I messed around with electrical, roofing. I mean, you name it. You know, I was I had my fingers on it starting 14, 15 years old all the way until I moved out to California for college when I turned 18, but it um, was kind of like the base point of you know, that experience, and I think through that, you know, um, watching my granddad craft things and create things and then, you know, being around my dad building houses, it was just an exciting experience to see something come from nothing, you know. Yeah. You start with this idea, this concept, and then that concept, you know, takes shape in a plan and then that plan is kind of reviewed and revised that plan becomes a structure you know through multiple stages it's it's a cool process to see something come from nothing you know and i think that's very a very unique thing about what we do for a living right Mm -hmm. is you know what we touch is very tangible a lot of people, you know, and not to to knock anybody in the tech sector or anything like that, but you know, a I'm lot of the totally things that <laughs> <what> <laughs> a lot of things that are created nowadays, you know, are are digital. They're intangible. You know, yeah. they're they're you can't go to that thing and say, you know, here it is, I want to put my hand on this this rock wall. <laughs> well know? so
0: that you you said you're you're in real estate. So have you, you've heard about like uh D- digital real estate or
1: like di- yeah sure what's up with that like that seems know, like man. do you have you heard that no yeah so there's yeah it's, it goes back to all this ntf and you know all this digital media that you can trade but there's there's ways to buy plots of land and on digital platforms. <laughs> That's the most wild thing to yeah. me. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's very crazy. I don't know either. So.
2: so I have a friend in programming, and he says all he does is make digital donuts all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, all right? So you kind of get a, a taste
0: for the construction industry, your you know throughout your childhood, and then uh, you know where do you go from there?
1: Yeah. So. Um, I go to California and I get a house close to the beach and I start surfing instead of going to school. And of course, yeah. And uh, so yeah, I'm on the I'm on the seven year path to finish college because of that, you know. And uh, my wife, we're married now at the time, and she says, "Look, you got to finish this deal. The fastest way for you to do it is to get an English degree." So I go (laughs) off and I finish at Texas, uh, state with an English degree. And what, what in the world are you going to do with that now? You know? Yeah. So, um, through happenstance, I got my real estate license. I go to work for a guy, uh, Scott Turner, uh, with Riverside Homes here in Austin. Okay. Yeah. And he's got a development company and a real estate brokerage. And so I'm, you know, working at the brokerage exposed to kind of what he's doing on the construction side, um, and at the same time, you know, I have this background and I'm always looking at real estate. My dad's, you know, always been interested in real estate. And so we start buying small flips and turning those over. And, you know, a couple of years goes by and, you know, I my first lot. We do a couple of new construction projects. And then it was kind of off to the races from there. Is uh, that, is, so is that when FIA
0: Homes formed or yeah. when, did, when did that come about? Yeah,
1: pretty much. I mean, that's, it's been in... Uh, We've been a company since 2010 or 2012. So, um, again, kind of buying our first, you know, real lot over in Zilker. Um, And we did a house with Steve Zagorski. He was the first architect that we worked with at the time. Um, My dad and I sketched out the floor plan on a napkin, you Mm. know, and we had an idea about kind of what we thought the masking should be and we worked very closely with him to come up with, you know, a house that even today people are drive by and say, man, it's an amazing looking house, you know, and it's going on what, 12, 13 years old now. Yeah. 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 So through this process, you know, um, it's been a, a, a bit of a different path, I think, from an investment side of things. We've always been very driven by architecture mm-hmm. and design first. Foremost, You know, we want to build interesting houses, houses that can stand the test of time architecturally. You know, I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday. We don't want to have something that you can point to and say that house was built in 2015 because it was following some specific trend. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other part of that is, is we want to build a really high quality house. Just because it's a spec house, it doesn't mean that it has to be bottom line driven. And when I say that, I mean... A lot of the things that we bring to a custom house in terms of building practices, building sciences, um, finishing details and things like that are what you would typically find in a custom home. Because we found that there are clients out there who want to go through or would want to go through the custom home building process, but they don't have the bandwidth, you know, the time it takes to go through design. It's stressful. Yeah, it yeah. is. you know, It requires a lot out of it if we can make 90% of those decisions for someone, right. Yeah. You know, and we found that there's a buyer for that. So, um, the business was fully geared towards spec houses for several years. Um, we were always getting asked to do customs, uh-huh. you know, through that whole process, but it was a small team at the time. I and mean, it was myself really for several years wearing all the hats. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't have the bandwidth, you know. We were building a couple houses a year, and that was really all that I wanted to take on. I didn't want to, sh- you know, sh- string myself out too much and make it too stressful. So, are
0: you are you still doing that that volume, about, about two per year? No, no,
1: no. Now we've got a much larger team, and yeah, yeah. You know, We've moved to about six of these projects. What, what's yeah. your team look like? So it's myself. Um, we have two project managers. I have um, a guy in the office doing all of our bidding and estimating. And then we have a back-end team doing all of our billkeeping and things like that. So, yeah, yeah it's a pretty, pretty good-sized team. So, yeah. you know, when you say earlier about sitting in front of a computer it's, it makes me laugh because i you know it seems like nowadays that's more of my job title is <laughs> you know staring yeah. at plans and spreadsheets and you know kind of understanding the nuts and bolts part of the business yeah um but it's an important part to me you know I, what i think i told you the other day is you know we realized hey you know I'm pretty good at building these houses You know, how do we level ourselves up? And that was really coming through understanding our numbers. So we've spent a lot of time, you know, figuring out how we can accurately estimate a house that has 60, 80 pages of detail on it. You Mm -hmm. know, and it's very, very difficult. But through that process, we also build the house on paper. You know, and so we're building it in our minds. We're you know imagining all these details, and so that bidding and estimating process has also become a really integral part in how we prepare for the construction on these houses. Yeah. Um, one so thing we, with inflation,
2: costs kind of running out of control.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: how are y'all bidding things for clients, but leaving enough their leeway so that you know we can handle whatever the cost of something
1: is. Well, you know, nowadays it's much easier. Now the things have leveled out. Um, you know, there was about eighteen to twenty months where it was almost impossible. Um, you know, fortunately, we had some understanding clients that were willing to just ride that wave with us. We were also making some crazy assumptions about what the market was going to do based on you know historical trends or what we were seeing in lumber lim- and framing material and windows and steel and all this stuff that was on a roller coaster, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was stressful. You know, I, I think, well, I'm glad that time is over I think is the best way to put it. Yeah. Because now, you know, everything is stabilized. Our system is really clicking off. So, you know, we know what our price per foot is on lumber. We know what it is on steel fabrication, you know, so forth and so on. So we can apply those matrices, matrices to these houses fairly efficiently and uh yeah so that's been an exciting thing but yes it has put me in front of the computer more than in the field yeah and it's hard you know i i'm like you guys i love you know seeing the product man being out there figuring out the detail analyzing you Mm -hmm. know what it's going to take to execute this piece and so i still get to do that but not as much as i think yeah
2: yeah yeah very very common story for those that get into it yeah for sure
1: (laughs)
0: Well, so you, so you're kind of navigating through COVID and, and, and just the wild time that was. But I mean, how many, did you have a whole lot of specs during that time? Are you like 50-50? Yeah, or... at the
1: time we were running mostly specs. Okay. Yeah, so it was my, uh, money at yeah, play, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the uh, the goods, the you know, upside of that was is you know uh, the market was very aggressive at the time, yeah. so the money that you were putting in, you know, was easier to get back up. So, yeah. um, and the business model has really never been to build these houses and figure out how to save money. It's more like how do we manage money? Yeah, you know, across these scopes of work, you know, how do we execute? as many of these battles as we possibly can and keep this in a relative budget. Um, so yeah, during COVID, that was obviously much, much harder. Yeah. But, you know, the, the houses were able to grab a premium and it worked out fine. So.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome in here. I toured yesterday. You kindly uh, invited me to walk, you know, one of, one of your houses and we actually have it up on the screen right now. So I'll actually... I'll take these pictures and I'll post them on Instagram so people listening can can follow along and look at what we're looking at but um so this is one of the, the projects you got um can you talk to us a little bit about what's going on here and
1: Yeah sure so um this is a project that we're doing in Barton Hills um I bought the lot several years ago um the big driver for this was this amazing view that the house has on the back. It has a 180-degree view of downtown. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to do a house that was somewhat low-profile and from the street. Well, it's a, it's a term we learned in uh, Palm Springs is discreet from the street. <laughs> so it's this idea that from the street the house is very subdued and simple but when you get around to the back it has an amazing experience yeah um, yeah so you know that was kind of the idea behind it when we we took this to Mark Odom and uh, he helped us come up with you know this really interesting design um it's a massive house for the neighborhood it's 5,500 square feet um so, okay. so you know for Barton Hills it's it's on the larger side um but yeah, you know, to make this thing low profile and to, and to have that feeling, you know, we sunk it into the lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we have some great foundation, um, you know, at the time I had not done one. So the process of, of pouring multiple pours to, to pull this off was a bit of a surprise to me, yeah. you know, something we underestimated. But the effect is really, really spectacular. So,
0: Yeah, I agree. I like that. Um, how it's kind of sunken into the... Into the hillside a little bit. And, and yeah, I mean, you can't see in the photo, but like the neighbor to the left of you is, is a two story and it kind of just towers over. And, and, um, but yeah, I like what y'all did and kind of spread it out and, and made it low profile. But from the back, yeah, well, before we go to the back, let's kind of talk about some of these details on the front. So this, you were telling me yesterday, this is a thermally modified ash. Yep. Can you go,
1: what, what is that? So, um, You know, there's a ton of thermally modified products out there right now. So they're taking softwood, typical softwood products, and they go through a process that basically pulls all the moisture and dries them out and creates a hardwood product out of a softwood. So the good thing about that is, you know, there's a lot of concern about deforestation and exotics. And so you take a product um, like this and it's more sustainable than, You know, doing a whole house out of ePay, for example. It's also more cost effective, you know, from a board foot perspective. Um, But one of the drivers for this house specifically was as we went through engineering, you know, because this is on a hill um, and because it had some challenging soils, which is typically what you find, the foundation on this was very robust from a structural perspective. Uh Um, But when the architect proposed, uh, masoner on the upper level, all of a sudden the foundation, I mean, took a $750,000 turn. Oh, wow. You're so not. like, okay, well that's not sustainable. You know, how, how are we going to, you know, execute the exterior of this house? And I was not going to build an all stucker box. I mean, that's just not in our wheelhouse yeah. um, architecturally. So uh, wood was proposed and I was concerned that, you know, I think you guys know as well as I do, wood is not a great product for exterior siding in central Texas um it takes a lot of uh, takes a lot of beating it does and it becomes a maintenance situation for your client right i mean mm-hmm. there. so on this house because it's four side exposure wood you know the house was going to always be some different color mm-hmm. and um that concerned mm-hmm. me i just felt like architecturally you know if the house was spotty you know we would just lose some of that interest so uh, we do quite a bit of work with U.S. Lumber Brokers. Jenna over there, she brought me this product, said, hey, you guys might want to take a look at this. Um, and what's interesting about it is not only is it a thermally modified product, which is you know interesting, but becoming more standard. It has a pre-weathering agent on it that makes it gray out. Mm-hmm. So the color that you get on this house will be the long-term color that you'll end up with. So the client doesn't have to go on and do any staining, Mm -hmm. you know, any additional maintenance. Once installed, it's a 40-plus year product, So, which makes it really cool. That's impressive.
0: That that was kind of my next question was what the (laughs) lifespan on that was. But, yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool.
1: So um, a couple interesting things with that. I mean, we did it on a rain screen application. Um, It comes in randoms, uh, which was a challenge for some of our long runs. Mm -hmm. And so uh, our millwork guy actually fabricated full-length pieces by – Pocket screwing the back, and we could do that because the thermally modified product is very stable. So it won't cup or twist at those joints. Mm. And so by doing that, we were able to install full length pieces, which let us install this very flat on the wall. So when you if you go to this project and you look down the wall, it's you
0: know I saw, yeah, I was definitely checking that. I was looking down some of these long walls and I was su- surprised. Yeah, they're,
1: they're very flat, very straight, and that's good. But it's also in the guy doing the installation, right? I mean yeah. you have to have somebody that's gonna be thoughtful enough and take the time to really make that work. So Yeah and I definitely
0: wanna get into that here a little bit. But yeah, yeah so you got your Maybe we can go to the, another picture, but you, then you have these really pronounced, like deep steel shadow boxes. Uh, if you're looking at this, yeah, there it is. Like the front elevation. I, I don't know. I'm a sucker for these, this detail. <laughs> to me, this is just really cool. I would do this on my house, Uh, but I like these steel shadow boxes. And, and yeah, it's interesting. We were talking about like flashing details and, and just, you know, it looks so simple. Right, when you just walk up to it on first glance, yep. it, it looks so easy, but you know, when then when you realize, you know, mm-hmm. the the windows kind of sunken into the wall and it's like how do you how do you flash that and then you know, then you set your window and then you got this you know, two thousand pound or more probably, four thousand <laughs> pound shadow box that you gotta get into place and install. Like it just looks effortless, but you know, the amount of forethought that goes into that detail is uh, pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. Thanks, man. We, you know, it's one of those details that, you know, on paper wasn't really defined, but you Mm -hmm. start looking at it and you start in my mind, a lot of the, the things that, that I, uh, really pay attention to are things that could be potential problems down the road, mm-hmm. right? You look at this detail, the mass of these steel boxes, the wood siding, and you start thinking, man, if there was ever a leak in this location, we would have a massive challenge. You know, yeah. What are we going to do to avoid that condition? So um, one of the cool things about this that you cannot see is that the windows themselves have this massive pan and the pan is not flat. It actually is framed on an angle. Mm-hmm. So underneath nice. underneath the window is this angle. And we built the pan from the back side of the window all the way down the angle, turning down the exterior sheathing and then waterproofing, obviously, inside of those corners and then all the way around the window using liquid flush. Um, but the idea was is if anything gets past that point, will have a space to roll down and then hit the rain screen of the wood and then run out from underneath. Yeah, so it was one of those things that, you know, when we started looking at it, you know, I was like, man, we have to really go above and beyond, but you know, those are the kind of things that get me excited about construction. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's yeah. no, there's no detail out there for that. I mean, we've all done something similar, maybe on a different project, but it's still a unique piece, you know, so. for sure. Um, but having a, a good fabricator on our team, uh, the guy that does our roofing, is also a, a, a master break metal uh, guy. And he helped us fabricate these huge full-piece pans. And, you know, he understands the importance of the waterproofing detail. And, you know, you mm-hmm. get a, a team of minds together, you know, that are willing to kind of hash it out. Yeah. It's pretty cool what you can come up with. So. Yeah, for sure. It's, so your building science is
2: correct. The logic is sound. A lot of people build and think I'm going to prevent water from getting in here. That's the goal. I'm going to stop it. That that's wrong. The water's going to get in there. Doesn't matter how. Doesn't who it, it yeah. knows. It's going to get in there. The plan is exactly what y'all yeah. did, which is how does it get out? Yep. And you advantage advantage a pathway to get out and manage yeah. it. And and going back to what you said, Lonnie, it looks simple. It looks simple because it was done right. Yeah. And, and I have found that the more architecture you tend to look at, things look correct. They look simple. They look really good. Effortless. Because the effortlessly, yes, that's a good word for it. Yeah. Because they were done right. They were mm-hmm. done well. And then it, it almost takes some of the difficulty away. And you're like, no, you don't understand how difficult that was. It looks
1: really good. <laughs> but it was a lot harder to do than you think.
0: It's kind of funny. Like the details that, that seem to go unnoticed are the ones that, you lose sleep over uh, yeah right
1: absolutely <laughs> they are they are the ones that you lose sleep over but those are the ones I mean, as you guys know that are the most important to the project mm-hmm. you know well ha- hats off to your uh, your steel contractor he,
0: he really did a great job on those on those boxes there i yeah, mean even just in that photo i mean they're all in a line they're all well, that's just it right you can make one box that's <laughs> easy but <Yeah>. there's
2: four <laughs> boxes that all line up with a perfect edge
0: and that's super deep like you know that's that's a what a 24 inch deep yeah so it's box? a box
1: yeah and it's a double wall frame on yeah. the, on the inside so it's two two by sixes with a gap in between them, like a big air gap in between them. Is that for structure or is that for? It was to get these, to get these boxes to sit back inside of the framing so they wouldn't protrude, uh, okay. you know, beyond. So, yeah, they would, yeah, yeah. you know, they're coming out, but they're not, you know, exploding out of the house. Yeah, yeah. Right? They're, they're inset. Who are the windows? So these were Western. You know, in hindsight, looking back on it now, we probably could have pulled off something similar by doing a site mold system. You know, the integration of the prefabricated window and the boxes was a bit of a challenge. Um, because you also, you can't see it on this angle, but like looking at how you would get to the inside of the windows if you have to, ever had to remove a piece of glazing, for example. Like, I mean, all these things had to be thought out, right? If like you don't mm-hmm. want to have the, the steel, like, make it where you can't ever replace a piece of glass. So... Uh, yeah. in hindsight, I think, you know, and this is, I think, a good example of like a lot of the things that we learn through construction, right? Like we do things, we experience them, we go through them and then we think about them mm-hmm. you're like, wow, maybe I could have done this a little bit different. Like <laughs> yeah. we could have made it a little bit easier on ourselves. So yeah, yeah that, it's amazing
2: that you, you are thinking about reglazing the windows because one of the things that I find interesting that uh, I've learned over the last several years is all, all the glass is basically the same, right? All the IG units, they're all basically the same. Give or take some of the, the band that goes around the... the what is that called? Sash? No, the piece that holds the two pieces of glass apart.
0: Oh, I guess the... Yeah, the, I guess what you're saying,
2: yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> what, what I find interesting is nobody's going around. None of the people selling the windows. No builders are going around going, Oh, by the way, about 15 years from now, probably gonna to need to make, replace most of the glass and all these <laughs> Yeah, and that's
0: that's part of the challenge too is the, the maintenance and um you know just the accessibility. Sure. You know that's mm-hmm. that's I think that is often missed in in the design is you know it's it's not just a one and done install it and you know brush your hands and you're and walk away you know you, you got to maintain that and so you got to be thoughtful and you know the end user how are they going to maintain this how are they going to you know if something were to go wrong how do they get up there and replace a piece of glass like what, what you said I mean so t- taking that into consideration is, you know that's that's what I like is is you know those are the details that nobody thinks of
1: those are the details that you wish the guy thought of if you get involved in a remodel <laughs> <laughs> yeah what happened here <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's that? That
0: saying? Well, I don't know if it's a saying, but you know, doing remodels makes you a better builder because you get to see how not to do something. Sure. So, okay, now we're looking at the back, um, and you're right. It's from the back as the lot slopes down. I don't know what the the drop is in grade there. What like sixteen feet? But the house yeah, really
2: almost wouldn't know it's the same house. Yeah, here. really. From
0: the back, it it really explodes. You know, you're you're. You're looking at a double layer, you know, double stacked house, and so what we're looking at. You were saying yesterday the areas that have the zip exposed will be a white stucco finish, yep. like a smooth stucco, like a smooth stucco. <laughs> stucco yep. Okay, so but all the the ash, the thermally modified ash is in. You know, you got your soffits, your, your ceilings are done, your pools in, which you know that's that's good. That's a must. you a all stucco or yes, nice.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I don't know if you saw a sample of it uh, yesterday, but it's our our. R- r- well,
0: I saw him working on the soffit. Yeah, you know, and 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 what I like too is that a lot of the exterior finishes are carried through into the interior. Yeah. I freaking love that detail. I yeah. love seeing like wow. Yeah, like. Stucco, so the same stucco that they're working on here that carries through into the interior ceiling, right? Like yeah. in the foyer, the yeah. entry uh, into the master, like so. You get the you know this cohesive, this balance of materials, you know, from inside and out. And um, I always think that's nice. But um, so if you zoom back out, sorry, Adrian, no s- tell me. So we got some pretty big cantilevers going on, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, huge cantilevers. Um, the structural uh, steel package on this house was very robust, um, but we want, we wanted to have elements of this house feel like they were floating out in space. Yeah, um, you know, in order to do Achieved. that, yeah. <laughs> What's funny is, you know, I look at this, and you look in the corner of, of this detail if you could if you could. Uh, Pan over just a little bit to the right. There's one round. Does it go over far enough? Yeah, uh, no, it doesn't. There might be another picture yeah. that can go over. There's one round steel post, and the work that we did just to to get that one post in that corner was astronomical from a fabrication perspective. <laughs> you know, but but I mean, it was unavoidable. Uh, we just like physically did not have the backspin necessary. to carry both of those corners yeah yeah. and also structurally that one column runs all the way down through the porch down through the casita to a hard point on the foundation so it's doing a lot of heavy lifting for the weight of that corner on the structure but it's hidden
0: well i mean because there's a there's a staircase kind of back behind that it integrates into that staircase so it almost just seems like it's it's not even there yeah but you your
1: engineering uh, PCW did the engineering. Oh, yeah, I like yeah. him. Yeah. him a lot. So, that yeah, I know them. Rolando, uh, I like Rolando. He's a yeah. good
2: dude. I like him a lot. So
1: you know, his dad um, started the foundation uh, concrete side of the business, and then Rolando went. And he has an engineering degree. He worked as an engineer for several years before he came back to the um, concrete side. And so he uh, did the foundation and he did the engineering on this house. So it's kind of an interesting marriage of engineer and uh, contractor underneath one roof. So those guys are great. They
2: have a passion. Yeah. And they are really enjoyable to work with because of that passion. And because, like you said, Rolando, he's there. Yeah. He, he's not a paper pusher. He's out there. He understands it. He gets into it. Yeah, they're good guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're they're into concrete. And um, you know, for me, those are the guys that I like to work with. I like mm-hmm. to work with the guys that are into their trade. Yeah, I, you yeah. know, 100. Yeah, I mean, whether you're doing yeah. concrete or stucco or I mean, whatever it is, right? Like if you have that guy on your team, yeah, I mean, it's just a huge asset.
0: It builds such a confidence builder. I mean. Dude, I'm looking at this picture I man there's cantilevers everywhere I mean you got the these two cantilevers here you got that roof that they're doing this the stucco soffit on right now that whole thing's cantilevered that whole master wing is is cantilevered. the master bath over there is all cantilevered like that's that's pretty impressive like they're
2: I know nobody listening can kind of see these pictures, but what is what is that box? Is that a future window?
0: Yeah, so that yeah, is... Yeah, a, go, tell me about that. Yeah, so,
1: so that box uh, is actually the primary <laughs> bathroom, and so that window is in the shower, and the lower portion of that window is going to be touch glass so oh, you, can, yeah. you can adjust it from zero to you know fully opaque and then the top will be matching low yarn so the glazing will match but the reason that it's like that is the view from that uh window is amazing
0: yeah so. and i'm such an idiot i should have turned around and, and taken a picture of the view because yeah you do get a really wonderful view of downtown austin from here
1: so you know in that piece it was kind of that situation where you know, how do you give the client the potential privacy that they may want? Mm-hmm. You know? That they may want. Yeah. You may just want to stand there yeah. naked looking
2: at downtown. Yeah. I mean that's you totally might. what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> you, know,
1: you know, I would too, but the thing, the second that you don't put it in, you know, that but, end user is like, oh I But you know, who whose whose thought was that? It was mine. Right, exactly.
0: I mean as you're you're going into these these details, you're you're thinking ahead, saying like what is the yeah. end user going to want in this and so putting that in like this is again this is a spec home like you didn't have to do that but you went through all of the the headaches and and everything that was necessary to get that detail in there because and and i think that's going to be an awesome detail because well
1: you know it's it's interesting because you don't have to do any of this you know what i mean like you, you have to want to do it Yeah. And I think that's the difference in, you know, our business model is that we want to go in and execute these things at a very high level. Mm -hmm. does it have a, does it have a payoff in the end? Sure it does. You know, it, it, it makes a more interesting product, you know, something that people will grab onto, but at the same time, you know, it's exciting to want to make a house feel like it flows out in space, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to want to do a window that gives that kind of privacy or lack thereof depending on the direction you want to go. So you said this is a spec, is it sold? Uh, No, it is not. No. You said you had some, some interest though. Yeah. Right we now. do. Okay, good. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've been very we've been very fortunate. Um the majority of our houses have sold off LMLS through word of mouth. So we've created a, a brand that um is kind of flies underneath the radar, you know. We don't do a lot of advertising, mm-hmm. we don't expose these houses, you know, in that way, and we usually pick up a buyer, you know, kind of along this path. So awesome. So this is a this
0: is a spec home, but so the next one that we're going to look at this is one. So this this house is by uh, Coexist Studios yep. here in Austin. Um, I'm I'm a fan of theirs, and that's actually how I stumbled upon you, as you know, because you're the builder. Um, but this one's just right down the road. Tell me tell me about this this facade that we're looking at. Sure, this is. Uh, we kind of discussed this yesterday. I'm not a huge fan of limestone, but this is kind of selling me. I like this dry stack flagstone pattern. like this takes a lot of skill and patience to be able to achieve something like this. Like the, you have a really skilled mason here, like that's that's pretty impressive. So what's the term for that?:
1: So it's a it's a dry stack
2: just dry stack yeah I mean, dry stack flagstone is not a yeah, technical it, nope. term for it. no
1: i mean it's you know when you take the the mortar joints out it becomes a dry stack and um so we're we're doing this one as a custom uh with coexist we've done several projects with them both spec and custom in the past the client for this house uh spent a lot of time in greece down in mexico they just really liked this dry stack concept that you see in these other countries. And so they provided an inspiration image uh, from (laughs) something that they had seen in the past to the architect and the architect provided to us that you think you can pull this off. And I showed it to my Mason. He said, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a very old style of laying stone. Yeah. Uh, It's, I think it's a style that takes experience that takes um, talent, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you know, I don't think every mason, you know, can go do this job. You know, you have to know how to piece these these things in together, and it is a giant, you know, puzzle piece over seven thousand square feet of lay because it was yeah, like, it's, it's a, a huge installation. Yeah,
2: yeah. There's dry stack, but that is tight. That is, <laughs> that is probably the tightest. Dry yeah, it looks stack good. I've seen.
0: It, yeah, it, it looks it's phenomenal. I mean, and and I know why you brought me to this one because yeah. well, I yeah. brought
1: you because I heard you say that you didn't like <laughs> no. And I that. Texas limestone. I said, well, let's go take a look at something. No, I'm, I'm got. Go yeah. This is awesome. So,
0: and this one, this definitely speaks more to the mid-century modern style. Um, is, is, is there another picture? I don't know if you zoom out. Just very, like, not not a whole lot of 90 degrees angles, like, very sharp angles. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, this is, seems right up your alley, right?
1: Yeah, it is. You know, I think um, I've always been drawn to mid-century. I uh-huh. think the aesthetic is very pleasing to the eye. It's timeless. Um, you can look at a house that was built in that era and still see interesting aspects of it today that are very fresh and interesting. So... Um, you know, when I did my first project with Coexist, I went to them and I said, I wanna do a different roof line. Mm. So we did this project on Arpdale that had all these undulating uh angles and it was just a really cool detail and um So, yeah, working with them to kind of push that idea was was really cool. But, yeah, on this, you know, with these big overhangs and, you know, angles coming to a point, it definitely reads in that way. Mm -hmm. But it's also fresh, too, you know. I mean, taking these huge smooth stucco fascia and soffit and then marrying them with this very rough stone is a a really interesting play on materiality. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it creates some interesting moments for the house.
2: So, how do you balance? And I, I see you've done it here. How do you balance? Because this is like a proverbial argument in stucco the expansion joints with the architectural intention. Because, of course, you know, structurally, every 144 square feet sure. it should all be wrapped in an expansion joint.
1: So, with this, we knew the parameters necessary for function. And then we went to the architect with a layout um, proposing what we thought we needed to do. And then based on that collaboration with the installer ourselves and the architect, we came up with a layout for the expansion joints. But you're right. It is always a challenge, you know. Uh, believe it or not, this architect didn't have any expansion joints on their detail. That's <laughs> <common>. I do believe <laughs> <find that answer. laughs> You know, I mean, they were going for this super smooth, you know, flat surface, and you know, um, as you guys know, sometimes you know, function has to arm wrestle with form, yeah. you know, and come up with a solution that will make this house function because. Um, you know, this is a beautiful detail, but like I was showing Lonnie on site, you know, it had to have some thoughtfulness in how we created a weep on the bottom of this thing to make sure water didn't run down the soffit, for example. Yeah, and,
0: and I should have taken some more detailed photos. I, I did like how y'all achieved that that detail because you know you have a you have a stucco soffit and then you have a stucco fascia, and you know the the trick is you know obviously. Water is going to absorb into that stucco and run down your your water and air barrier, and you don't want it to get trapped or pushed back horizontally into your your uh, your fascia or, or sorry your soffit um, and and just sit there. I mean that's going to rot you know, it's going to cause rot and ruin your your stucco over time. So you know achieving that is is very hard to do, and I, I really liked how y'all how y'all did that here.
1: Well, there was a there was a stucco riglet, an off the shelf riglet that was provided in the drawings. Yeah, and I showed that to my stucco guy, and he just right away shot it down. He's like, "Absolutely not! I've seen this thing fail. You know, we've made repairs because of this riglet because Mm -hmm. it doesn't have anything on the backside of it to keep water from weeping down the socket." And so, you know, again, kind of like the last house that we looked at through a meeting of the minds, you know, ourselves, you know, the stucco guy, our roofer on the fabrication, we came up with a piece that has a very simple, you can't see it in this image, but kick on the back, you know, mm-hmm. turned over that keeps water from running down the inside of that soffit. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, 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 Back to your point about the functionality and, like, the long-term, you know, um, livability of these houses is, like, in maintenance, you know, it's, like, thinking about these things. Because you know that water is going to do, like you said, it's going to do what it's going to do. So... It's going to find a way yeah, no matter what. Yeah.
0: And, you know, somebody who really doesn't care probably would have just stuccoed that corner and made that all... (laughs) made that connection there. But you (laughs) took the time to... you you know, figure out how you're going to manage the, the water and, and, you know, the the condensation behind that, that stucco and how you're going to deal with that. So,
1: and and it's interesting, like, you know, we're doing this detail and we're right on a hard corner. So this, the soffit, um, fascia and siding, we've had a lot of compliments and, and just interest in it. And I had a builder pull up, like, you know, start looking at this wriggle details, like, oh my gosh, we're involved in a remodel right now where we're literally ripping out, you know stucco sofa because it was done mm-hmm. in the way that was proposed, and you know, this is such a cool way to do it. And you know, it's exciting to share that method and condition with a guy who's interested and in want to do it right, yeah, for sure. You know, like well, we said,
2: you just pointed out the very subtly, but the incredible importance of the collaboration between the builder, the architect, and the trade, yeah, and and while. It's important that the builder holds their ground and tells the trade how they want the product done for the quality and the purpose of what we're doing. At the same time, it's amazing to go to the trade who you trust and value enough to say, okay, here's what we're supposed to do. What do you think about it? What's best practice? How is this flawed? And then to work together to get his input to make it better, Mm -hmm. but hold true to the to the quality of the product and make it better. Yeah. So that collaboration, that makes products so much better.
0: Yeah, for sure, I mean, because you, know, you wanna listen to the trade, I mean, they're the one with the yeah. the real experience. To the right trade. Yeah, they're, say what? To the right trade. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. need <laughs> the trade that's giving you a bunch of BS. Yes.
2: This molding won't work. Nobody does this. And yeah, no, 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 that's BS. Yeah, you, you're full shit. you just don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you guys can sniff out the difference between those guys pretty quick. That's true. You know. Yeah, that, that comes with, with some experience. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's keep continue on. I don't know if we have another uh, dude, this okay, so this blew me away. I I love seeing this detail. So this is the Holy This crap. is the master bath. Um, feel for that
1: target. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know this. What's that wall? Is that fifteen feet? Um, it, it is probably twelve feet to the top of the light cove. Wide. Oh, width wise. Oh, 15, it's 20? At least fifteen. Maybe yeah, so. so huge yeah, wall, and then there's
0: this this natural light coming in down this this wall from a, a skylight above into the master um with this herringbone tile and i just i love that to me that's that's phenomenal um so hats off to your tile guy for being able to pull that off because i mean you got some crazy handmade tile with a herringbone <laughs> pattern and Um, so good luck keeping that you know (laughs) flat and and straight but
1: well the good thing about that is that it is a handmade product so you know it not being totally flat and it's forgiving yeah Yeah. it's absolutely forgiving uh, but it's still as you can tell very very difficult lay. I mean those are all individual herringbone place pieces and I mean that was almost three weeks of installation just on that wall you know yeah but you know when you have a tile guy that really represents his work as art and you know Mm -hmm. that wall is a work of art you know when you come into that house it's like going into museum and experiencing you know a a piece of art so
0: no it's it's beautiful and i love how that that natural light kind of just shines down that wall and really Mm -hmm. really highlights it it yeah what's what's cool is
1: from the exterior of this house that primary bathroom is just a solid wall of masonry and so i had a neighbor say there's no there's no windows in that bathroom you know i'm like come inside let me show you what's going on in here you know and you walk in and there's just this massive expansive skylight um, that brings that natural light into the space and in a very interesting way too you know it looks
0: great um, do we have another, another? Yeah, you're gonna have to create like a slideshow
2: that people can go along with as they listen to the podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Like I said, I'm gonna
0: post like all of these pictures to Instagram, so you should follow along if you don't already. You should you should follow us. Um, but all of these are gonna be uploaded so that we can um, you can see what we're what we're talking about. But uh, here's another shot looking up into that that light cove, and um, yeah, just. Really good, yeah. Your hats off to again to your to your tall guy because he did a phenomenal job there.
1: You know what's interesting about that cove is we did it with standard size um, skylights. You know, yeah, but you
0: brought the 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 ceiling in yeah, to narrow that
1: That's exactly that right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you look up there, you just didn't see this giant skylight. Yeah. So Coexist has, has done a really good job at creating these interesting uh, moments with skylights using standard sizing that don't feel like just a hole inside of the ceiling.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very very cool detail. And then your obviously your shower glass isn't in yet, but there's a shower um, with a is there a kind of a freestanding tub? The freestanding there
1: as well? tub sits in front of this tile detail that we're yeah. talking about. The other side is just one giant shower. Cool.
0: Um, so then I don't know if you keep keep going in the, the the photos here. There's just more shots of the the soffit. So this is a a hemlock, right? Yep. And you can see there. See, this this is another thing that caught my eye was the attention to the lighting in your soffit, making sure that your lighting falls, you know, perfectly center of your of your plank, you know, in your soffit, and then you have equally spaced planks, Duh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on your. There, there's no skinny you know rips you know right next to your yeah. your wall like it was very meticulous and thought out and planned so that that kind of caught my eye and then, but but that's the kind of those are the kind of details that again the the end user probably never gonna
1: notice that, but yeah, you know I like to say this and and I think it's all these details right like that you and I notice builders notice. The homeowner may not notice, but it's the culmination of all these details that give a feeling of quality to the house. Yeah. You know, um, you know, if all these things are dialed and, you know, together cohesive, you know, they may not be able to point to that, but they have a feeling of the house, you know, mm-hmm. the feeling of quality. So uh, I'm going to modify that a bit, Brent,
2: because uh, while I agree with what you're saying, they will notice, but they won't notice it right away. And what I have found, and Lonnie and I have talked about this and I know for a fact clients have done this and have told me this, that client may not notice those lights are lined up perfectly and symmetrical in the middle of all the boards the first year, second year, maybe not even the third year, but there will be a day when he's standing around just looking at stuff and goes, wow, those all lined up perfectly symmetrical down there. Over the time that they enjoy the product they notice those things continually. And I tell people, you know, it, it could cost a lot. We're probably going to bust the budget because things take longer than we would like them to. But if you stick with the quality, that's what, you know, clients stand around their friends come over and they go, holy cow, look how amazing that is. The client doesn't go, yeah, but do you know how long it took? <laughs> no, he doesn't say that. Yeah. He says, yeah, that looks badass, doesn't it? Let me tell you who did it.
1: Yeah and I hope you're right because sometimes I feel like we're just doing this for our own no I tell people I joke around I'm like when we
2: build a house I go into every bathroom and I sit on the toilet Yeah, and I just sit there and I look around and I'm like because the client yeah. is going to spend hours sitting on that toilet just staring at details you're, you're right I and don't now, notice the details and, and I heard you
0: say that before and I do that now we're you know <laughs> we're punching out and I'll go and sit on the toilet yeah, and I'll look around and see what I see because your your perspective changes when you're you know sitting on a toilet and there's things that really do kind of stick out to you when you're at that elevation versus standing. You know, it's it's kind of mind blowing, but yeah, I practice that now because you've said that I've heard you say that. I like it. I
1: think I'm going to start. You should. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, uh, yeah,
0: no, it's a it's a good tip. Um, but we've talked about some of the skilled trades that it takes to pull off some of these details. Sure. And I hear it talked about a lot about this, you know, deficit in skilled labor. Are you seeing that at all? Is is that just something we tell ourselves or is that, is there any truth to that?
1: I mean, to be honest with you, I don't see it inside of our business model. I don't know if you guys are similar, but we use a lot of the same subs over and over. Mm -hmm. And so the group that we put around us, I think for the most part, you know, has a skilled base. You know, obviously you have turnover inside of that. More so nowadays, I notice that there's more guys on the job. But, you know, in terms of that skilled labor, no, you know, I think it's there. I think it's, you know, who you have on your team um, is how that kind of shows itself. Adrian,
0: I'm here to. I'm interested to hear your opinion as well on this like downturn of of quote unquote you know skilled labor and you know is there is there actually any merit to that? Are we are we seeing it trend that way or are we actually are we seeing the you know the younger generation kind of come up and fill these you know these positions and, and learning these skills?
2: I think we have two things going on. I think that there, there is a, um, a glut in the market for people that use their hands, skilled craftsmen that have learned a skill or a craft. Yeah. <clears throat> but I also think that the market is changing. Uh, construction, I mean, I'm starting to hear it. It's tapering down a little bit. Um, you know, there's going to be more people available to work, but probably not at a higher caliber. Now... I think the other, the other, the third prong of that is what is setting up new people to come into the craftsman industry. Yeah. Right. There's great programs if you want to become an architect and a, and a pathway to do that, and if you want to become a computer programmer, or if you want to become you know whatever a finance, even a builder.
0: I mean, even if you want to become like a project manager, like there's. You know, degree programs out there for. But if I
2: love carpentry, yeah, and I love woodwork. Yeah. how no- do I go and really become a good, skilled There's carpenter? Nothing. Yeah, and that doesn't have any stigma that is less than the other industries out there. Because clearly, I think through the '90s and early 2000s, everything was tech based, mm-hmm. right? You're you're going to make a ton of money if you go into tech, and if you're working with your hands, well nah, that, sorry.
1: Well, I think you hit on the point kind of, that it's yeah. the stigma. Mm-hmm. Right. We're talking so, about that. Yeah, we're, yeah, like how do you that's changing. How do you remove the stigma from a guy who is going to be an expert brake metal fabricator, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do you make that, for lack of a better term, sexy mm-hmm. as a profession? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because as a as a society, we have identified we're going to go beat up on computer programmers again, but like this, <laughs> <I do it. laughs> okay, this, the, that's a sexy profession, right? Like going to an office, working for Google, you know, or whatever. It's not sexy well, at Sitting but, in a uh, yeah. all day long. But to you and I, it it, it, it doesn't, but I mean, t- I think to the majority of the young people today, like they see that as their career path, right? And, um, when you and, you know, all the guys sit in this room today would say, you know, we think the guy that can, lay that masonry right is just as sexy as it is writing yeah. computer programming yeah so how do you change that stigma inside of young people's mind i don't really know you know i i you, you hit an interesting point you know we're talking about the availability of skilled labor and you know that skilled labor and the age differential is probably yeah. something that we see right like on your masonry crew, for example, how many of those guys are young guys? And how many of those guys are guys that have been doing masonry their whole life? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and so, you know, I noticed that as I look around these trades and I look at the age gap here, and I'm thinking 10 years from now, 15 years from now, like, are we going to have enough guys inside of this skill set? You know, and I don't know. Right. I know
2: I've mentioned it before. The statistic right now, just for plumbing, for every five plumbers that retire, only one new plumbing master plumbing license is being pulled to replace mm-hmm. that. So to your point, that trajectory is not good. Yep. Yeah. It's a pendulum, it'll swing. And there's also, you know, we're we're in a very niche high end market. I think it's a lot easier to be proud of the things that we do yeah. rather than that I think know, that's if you're gonna a go build point. track homes and you're a millwork guy for track homes, you're just Throwing it on the wall.
0: You know? And okay, so what I was going to say was, and I think we have a culture nowadays that seems to gravitate towards very little input but having a lot of reward. You know, so doing as mi- a minimal amount of work as possible and and reaping a high reward for that. And working in construction, especially in the trades, is you get what you put into it. So your reward is probably equal to the amount of effort that you put into it. It's just not immediate. It's not immediate. No, it takes time, which right. is which is also another challenge. But and I think that's maybe the problem is this: this younger generation that's coming in is is wanting to do right a, a, the least amount of work for the highest amount of, of gain.
1: I do think, though, on the flip side of that, uh, because I have a kid who is about to turn 16, uh-huh. you know, and you know, in his generation, like when we went to college, at least when I went to college, like, you know, you came out of college, like, I'm going to get this job. You know, this is a guaranteed like ticket to success. Yeah, And I, I think this generation coming up doesn't necessarily see a college education as that same type of ticket that we saw. You know, which is good for the trade industry. Exactly. Yeah, you think the, so, the pendulum is starting to swing. Yeah. You so you know, like, if if you can do two things right, like if you can make this trade work feel valuable to that person, mm-hmm. right, financially valuable, and all of us guys sitting right here, know that's true, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, the, the guys that can do this work are getting paid. Yeah. They I are. mean, they are getting paid. And, um, you know, if you can show the value of that to someone, you know, and you have a, you have to have a group of people who still want to create with their hands, right? Like, I mean, that's, like, inside of all of us, right? It's yeah. been inside of us since mankind began. Like, we've been building and creating. So, like, this concept can't be, like, dead and void inside <laughs> of your generation. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah maybe, yeah, maybe there is an opportunity there, you know?
2: And,
0: and I think some of that, too, is... And I, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I really do. But there is some merit to being able to showcase, you know, your work and, you know, put it out there for everybody to see because, I mean, that's where the younger generation is. Yeah. They're online. They're on social media. They're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, or whatever. And the more... Impact you can have there, you know, then that's going to influence them in hopefully in a positive way um, and and kind of push them in that direction of of hopefully joining a trade. Um, But, yeah, I think maybe that that outreach should come earlier in
1: life. You know, maybe we're 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 trying to outreach in like middle school, you know, and try to. I mean, I I know that it's out there. Um, You know, Crockett High School is close to where we live and they have a whole trade specific portion of their curriculum. Yeah. You know, where they're teaching kids how to frame. I see them out there building sheds that you can buy, you know, building picnic tables. And so it's there, you know, I mean, I guess the question is how do we propagate that? There, you know? I mean,
0: cause there's just something rewarding about being able to work with your hands. And, and then at the end of the day, you have a, a product that you're proud of. I mean, that's yeah,
1: kind of, well, I went back to, you know, a statement I made earlier, man, to see something come from nothing. Yeah, it's a very unique experience. You know, I think as builders, we're sitting here maybe taking that for granted, right? Because we experience it on a daily basis. Uh But I do think it's a unique thing that I would hope more people could, you know, have an experience doing. And all hope isn't lost. I mean, I I have specific uh, trades on our team right now where I've seen young guys come up over the last two, three years and really come into their own. Yeah. I,
2: I agree. I mean, uh, yeah, you, you do see it—the yeah. ones that get it, who go. This is such an opportunity. Yeah. Well,
0: how, how do so? How do builders? How do we help you know the younger generation? How do we help you know the trades and you know how? How do we outreach? I
2: think you share the passion.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like that's number one. You share the passion. You give it accessibility to people because it's interesting. When I go and I, I talk to somebody about something and nothing that's planned, but, oh, yeah, then let's start talking about this particular construction detail and we get excited about it and we geek out about it. And <laughs> people pick up on that. Yeah. And so I think just sharing the passion is probably the first thing because then people pick up on that and go, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. I'd like to get involved in that. I agree.
1: I agree with that. I mean, I think it start also exposure. Yeah. I mean, like plain and simple, like how do we expose... People to this thing, you know, that we live and breathe on a daily basis, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, yeah,
2: I, it comes back to stigma, though, and it's a it's a social thing. So I think as a society, as we change our social perspective of it, it will help. You know, guys like Mike, Mike Rowe out there that are helping make it cool, that's yeah. going to be a big deal.
0: Yeah, well, shout out to Mike Rowe because I'd love to have Mike Rowe on on the on the show, but um, hopefully one day. But um, Brent, gosh, this has been a, a great conversation. But um, I, I I appreciate your time, and, and I loved. Thank you for letting me tour your uh, your projects that yeah. you got going on. I'd love to be able to you know in the future.
1: Yeah, disappointed I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Open invitation yeah. on yeah, I, you know, I I I do enjoy it, and I think it's one of those things that I would like to do more of. You know, you um, sharing these experiences and these details with with uh, other people, and yeah. frankly, like why I'm interested in this podcast. To be honest with you, like when you hit me up, you know, I'm like, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> what are they talking about? You know, and so yeah, I was skeptical. I listened to like part of one, and I'm like I don't know, but then I started really listening, and I'm like, okay these are all people that share like this same passion and interest you know and it's cool it's it's cool to talk about it it's cool to have other people experience and frankly maybe that's what we're all pointing to today talking about this trade situation like you know we need to experience expose this for more people to experience i
0: agree and i i I appreciate you saying that because yeah that's definitely the goal i mean we've had people on here with really vast vastly different backgrounds and you know not all of the everybody on here is in construction you know there's architecture and and art and um and and designers and and other podcasters like but the the common uh thread that's shared amongst everybody is is passion yeah and i think that's what that's what kind of drew me to your Your work and and things that you're doing on the field is you can tell there's there's passion behind you know the jobs that you do and so I I commend you for that. I appreciate I appreciate your but Brent, I appreciate your time. Yeah, man, thank Uh, you so
1: much for having me on. I really appreciate you guys. Yeah, Yeah. awesome. Well,
0: cheers. Yeah, cheers. Uh, We'll we'll do this again at some point, but uh, appreciate you, Brent. Yeah, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow us on Instagram. We want to hear from you, so leave us some feedback to
1: help us shape future episodes.